this week on Dig Me Out. With your hosts, Jason Ziak and Tim Minichi. Jay, this week, we have a guest joining us for our... Uh, it's a special requested review, Jay. It's a it's a, a prize requested review. Uh, like a one? Something yeah, that like was... Uh, something one. one. A, a, a sweepstakes? Yes, exactly. Okay. See, Jay, back in... Uh, I think it was March. We had a contest for the first quarter... And we gave away a requested review to our Patreon subscribers. Anyone who was signed up at our Patreon page, whether it was the 250 level or the dollar level, was entered into the contest. We gave away a requested review and a book. And the person who requested that review made their request. And they are joining us from the left coast, Mr. Scott Holgram. Welcome back to the show. Thanks, guys. How you doing? Good. So what'd you pick and why'd you pick it? Uh, I picked uh, Jennifer Trinan's Cockamamie because it seems like, you know, Jay said um, with the Mother Love Bone Apple review, like this is the album that Dig Me Out was made for. And I think this is another one that falls into that category, something that was a a big splash in some circles, but uh, definitely went under the radar of most people's radars. Yeah, I would agree. And just a little bit of history on Jennifer Trinan. She was from Boston, Massachusetts. Still, I she, believe, still lives there. Yeah, she does still live there. She's from New Jersey, but she musically, she's from Boston. Okay, Wikipedia already wrong. It says <laughs> origin Boston, Massachusetts. Um, the album we're reviewing, Cockamamie, came out in 1994. It was followed up by Gunshy Trigger Happy in 1997. This was originally released on Squint Records and then re-released on Warner Brothers. And then the follow-up was also released on Warner Brothers. Um, and then she was in a band after it called Loveless, which released an EP and then an album um, in 2001 and then 2003. And the single, Better Than Nothing, reached number 15 on the Modern Rock Tracks chart, number 40 on the Mainstream Rock Tracks chart, and number 74 on the Billboard Hot 100. So, gentlemen, let's get into this record. Let's talk about Cockamamie. Well, first of all, I, I should back up. Jay, were you familiar at all with either this record or Jennifer Trinan? Yeah, I remember uh, one of the tracks. I remember the name. I remember a little bit of the splash that Scott mentioned. Okay. But that's about it. Yeah, I didn't did have get the record. This, I get. The, I got this record around when it came out. I think it was a used CD that somebody had traded in because um, I did like the single, and then I ended up getting the album, and I I own the album since then. So I was familiar with the record before we uh, decided to do this, and I do agree, Scott. This is like one of those records that's sort of like made for our podcast. In that it's uh, it has like sort of a known single, um, in the same way that like Hum has a known single with like stars. Obviously, mm. there's a bit more of a following um, for Hum, but I th- feel like this is a, a good opportunity. And this is one that I think we talked about maybe doing even like the first season, and um, 
reached out to Jen Trinan uh, via MySpace to try to get her on the show back then because she had a book that was out a few years earlier, which was called Everything I'm Cracked Up to Be, which you just read, Scott, right? I did, yeah. I, I once you told me about it, I blew through it in a in a week. I mean, it was a it was a good read, uh, page turner. Yeah, and that'll I think will come up maybe a little bit when we're talking about the record. Let's talk about what we liked about this album. Jay, I'm gonna start with you. Mm-hmm. Tell me what you liked about this record. Uh, I like the I like the rhythm section of this uh, this band. Um, and what I mean is, I think it elevates some of the tunes to be go beyond sort of your typical indie rock sound and kind of bring in some interesting feels. So like happier track one and track six, all this could be yours. There's a heavy swing feel to those songs. And mm-hmm. you hear this like in and out of the record. There's also some interesting like, like, uh, I don't know, what do you call it? Like it, almost like a dragging kind of thing that they get in with some of the rhythms to kind of make it a little bit more interesting. they can rock like they can just kind of drop in the pocket and deliver you know a against a, a pretty chunky riff you know and just kind of you know create that head bombing kind of hard rock kind of sound so yeah that was one of the things that really stuck out here is you know really um, really competent talented band and i think it complements and creates a great bed for i think the songs to sit on which are I think there's some really, really strong material here, and then there's some other material that's pretty average, but I think the band is so good that even the stuff that's a little average, it elevates it. I concur, and speaking of the band, I think the guitar playing on this record is really cool. Um, There's a lot of really interesting riffs, Mm. and um, you know what it reminded me of, oddly enough? It reminded me of John Chin's playing with Pretty Mighty Mighty. Mm. Um, There's a lot of, like, using harmonics, at the t- yeah. in, in riffs, which is really cool. Tons of harmonics on this record. Yeah, and I I believe that's that's Jen. I believe she's it's the band was a, a three piece. I, correct me if I'm wrong, Scott, because you just read the book she, and I don't. Have well, this- the, the, you know the book is funny because it's when the book starts, she's basically got uh, this album made, um, and then the book tends to cover. It, it's in two main sections. One is the bidding war, uh, and then the which is fierce, and then the second half is the tour, which kind of goes the way of like the the this is Spinal Tap tour. Um, I think, um, and th- they were three piece on the road, and this was recorded with different musicians in like fits and starts um, whenever they could get studio time in Boston. I do think I did look at the liner notes today, and it was pretty much all guitars were Jen. 
Yeah, and and they're not showy, but they're can be intricate and she does a lot of cool riffing and just, you know, it's not it not typical to what I think of, you know, it, I guess she was based in Boston at this time and you said she was originally from Jersey, but oh, yeah. um yeah. you know, when I think when you think of Boston in the 90s you're thinking obviously of, of the bands that led into that like the Pixies and Dinosaur Jr and then you know the 90s bands like Buffalo Tom and and Lars Cleo and whatnot and um this is a little more angular in some of the guitar playing than those bands are which tended to be you know, a little more driving a little more pop oriented in some respects and um her guitar playing could get pretty like it's almost, it almost reminded me of like I mentioned John Chin and Pretty Mighty Mighty. That's kind of an obscure reference for most people. But in some respects, it reminded me of like Doug Marsh from Built to Spill and some of the riffing that she was doing. So that was the thing. That was the one thing that I really liked going back and listening to the record. I was really familiar with her vocal, which is I, I really like her vocal delivery. Um, it's very unique and it doesn't sound like most other people. Just it's just the tone of her voice is cool. But I didn't remember how interesting all the guitar stuff was. And going back and listening to it, that really caught my ear this time. So Scott, what was something in revisiting this record that you really enjoyed? Well, you know, I want to um, basically concur with with everything you said. Um, you know, Jay mentioned happier and and all this could be yours. And I, I think at this point in the '90s, a lot of artists um, were still thinking up their albums in sides. And I think those are two first tracks. Like happier is the first track and the first side, and and all. And they're they're very similar. They're both cases where they're they're really pushing the beat, and they're just either right on top of it or just a little bit ahead of it, and then. In each case, they're paired with the next song, which is it is the drums dragging in this really, really slow way. So I love that. I love the the interesting guitars that you're talking about and her vocalizations, and I love her lyrics. Um, I mean, one year down, snow and um, uh, do it alone. I mean, those those lyrics those lyrics kill me every time, and I love love better than nothing. Um, do shots of whiskey and have a good fight. Finally, figure out who's really right. Like that, just I mean, in 1994, for where I was, like that just really hit home to me. Like, yeah, let's do this. But you know, the one thing you guys didn't mention that I love is the production of this. Like, everything is just so. And this is what's amazing to me. Like, she she did this uh, on her own with 
who uh, the person who I think is now her husband, Mike, uh, Mike Deneen, she refers yeah. to him as a guy in the book. She never gives him a name, which she does for a lot of people. But anyway, um, it's everything so separated. Like I can just hear everybody so clearly. Yeah. Um, and in, in revisiting this album, I also revisited, um, Gunshy Trigger Happy or is it the other way around? I can never remember. And I've, I've really struggled to get into that album and, uh, it's a completely different production production, same producer, just completely different. It's just, you're a wash in everything. It's just all, I mean, I wouldn't quite call it wall of sound. It's more like just, uh, you know, tide of sound and just, you just get lost in everything. But I love how this is just, it just, it's just bold. It just grabs you. She's got some really interesting ideas uh, that she puts into her lyrics and the guitar playing. And it's just, it's there. I, I think it's a, I think it's a great platter. Yeah. The track, track 10 bag is a great example of the, the production and the mix. It's, mm-hmm. Um, really cool textures and layers of guitars. Like, uh, you can really hear like the the tone of the guitar. It's, I mean, it's very up close and present, but yet everything is very separated on headphone. It's a great headphone listen. I, and I didn't expect that going into the record. You know, I, I thought maybe it'd be a little lo-fi and kind of muddy. But yeah, I was really impressed with the mix overall. And I and it, and while there are some different feels, I can kind of hear you know, where there might be some different players and whatnot, it does hold together as a record. Like it doesn't sound like anything's from out of left field. Really. It all kind of is fairly cohesive. Yeah. It's not disjointed in the way that you would think a band that, or an album that's recorded by multiple people over uh, a large time span would sound, you know, with obviously you have to remic things and drums and guitar cabinets and whatnot. So I, I believe that this was done at Q division is that the uh, that's the studio in Boston that I believe that Mike Deneen worked at? Yeah. Um, so got the professional pedigree to pull off the record. You mentioned about that lyric in Better Than Nothing. There's a lot of references to drinking on this on this record, and there's a, there even uh, there's a reference to uh, like slurring your words in front of a cop when she's like Ossifer in uh, yeah. I don't know what song that was, but well, it, it's um. It's a, is it too bad you're such a loser? I mean, it's, it might be knock me down, but I think she's, um, I think she's, it seems like she's criticizing a paramour for wanting to do, uh, you know, play acting in, in foreplay or something like that. That's what I took from that. Okay. It, that's, it always rang to me as she's like getting, uh, that's, I really wish the book had gone into the stories behind these songs. I, I can only imagine she must have thought that she'd covered that ground in the interviews during the tour, but uh, I missed those. And yeah, that that lyric struck me as she's uh, some guy's coming on to her, and she's like, "Oh, you're you're full of you know, you're full of it." Yeah, the book is really more a, a ex- explanation of like the behind the scenes aspect, right? I, I read it back when it came out, or probably 2007 or eight somewhere. But uh, refresh my memory: the book is sort of detailing like the business end more than the musical end. Yeah. Oh, very much so. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a, there's a lot of personal relationships of stuff, especially with the two guys she's on tour with. And then the, yeah, the business relationships and it starts, it starts with the, basically with the bidding war. So she's got like basically every label, every major and every indie is 
trying to get her to sign and then she signs with Warner and then it's lawyers and, and all that kind of stuff as she's on tour. And she was, I think, 31. Like she wasn't, you know, some 20 year old kid in college who would, who had made a record. She was, she'd like ran a desktop publishing company and recorded this, like you said, like in, in bits and pieces sort of on the side. So this wasn't like her main gig were as a lot of people and so her sort of perspective as sort of running her own business already and and being an adult in in a different way than some people were in bands is it's a fresher or, or more unique perspective than um you're probably going to read in other biographies of 90s or any sort of musicians that are talk about how they you know make it or what have you in revisiting the record uh were, were things that maybe either didn't work for you or that are things you thought uh, didn't hold up over time. Uh, anything Scott in, in going back to it, you thought, eh, this always bothered me or, or anything like that. You know, um, I, there's not a, there's not a song on here. I don't like, there's not a song here that I actually, that I am like, no, I just cannot find anything not to like in this. But by the time it gets to uh side two, I, call, I think I even think of it that way. Side two, like all this could be yours. Too bad you're such a loser and knock me down. Like those three right in a row, there it feels like there's very little room to breathe. And even though it's like a 40 minute album, like I I am a little bit like I've heard this before, you know, like it's it's the by the time it gets to all this could be yours, track six. That's the first time that I'm not like either super excited about the current song or really into the next song. Like those first five just nail it the 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 next song that i'm super excited when it gets to it is is track 11 do it alone if i die before i wake would you promise me just these things That six to ten track, even though I'm like I'm looking at my notes right now, and they're all super positive about all of those songs, but it just gets a little like dense, or the songs don't have enough room to breathe. Even though like I don't know, too bad you're such a loser has this great bridge, which goes you know it's the part where because I can see you running, and it, it just goes into a completely different feel. I don't know, but something about that stretch just wears me out. Yeah, I'm 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 with you. Um. And I do in some of those songs, it's the um, like too bad you're such a loser. I, I love the feel of that song. It definitely paints a picture of kind of this drunken swagger. Like it just feels like what the lyrics sound like, which is, is kind of cool. But it it really doesn't get special, I think, until that bridge. And you kind of have to make it there. And then it goes in this whole other place you don't expect. And But there is a bit of a dirge to it. Um, I, I, I don't love the story. I probably uh, knock me down is is the last song where I'm really I think where the momentum after that starts to die for me. So if I had anything to say, I think it's probably my least favorite song on the record. It, it sounds 
just a little too garage rocky kind of basic, nothing special. I think, I think beg is really cool though. Uh, it's, mm-hmm. it starts to, it starts to come back there. Um, it's really dreamy, which is, I think is a good sound, uh, for the band. Um, and, and anytime they use texture, which that song used a lot of, I think is good. I think it's the, like that. And then the way that record ends is, is a little odd for me. The do it alone. And I know what it feels like is it's a little too sparse. Like I think one of those songs would be good to end on, but the two of them is not quite, um, I'm not quite getting the concept of how the record's going out. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. I think the first half is real strong. Uh, we didn't call out one year down. I think that's a really good, if that wasn't the second single, it should have been. Yeah. Um, it, wasn't, they, it wasn't, it wasn't one of the three singles and uh, uh, it, 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 I know it, it's my favorite song and the lyrics, the lyrics kill me, just absolutely slay me. And yeah. I love the, I just love the song in itself. Yeah. It's, and I, it's, I, it's almost song. like a, a power pop song. I mean, yeah. it approaches that kind of feel. Yeah. Perfect. It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's her born to run. I think I just, it's just so damn good. And, <laughs> and I mirror what you said. I know what it feels like to be down. Isn't even listed. I have the actual physical jewel case in front of me. It's not even listed as a track on there. So, you know, my notes are like, yeah, this is good, but kind of throw away. And you can hear that as it is. It's kind of a, I call it a reprise because it's like a reprise, but it just comes before this track in between tracks five and six. Like, I think it's just this way of her ending both sides the same way. I don't know. Mm. I agree. I, yeah. Interesting. Cause, uh, the, the version we got from you, it just says untitled, but now on, on like Apple music on the streaming services, it has a title and like presents it as a real song, not just like a, yeah. uh, well, what are they called? Hidden track or whatever. Right. Um, yeah. I, I I wanted to point out also on um I, I think it's uh yeah one year down I'm gonna check my notes the guitar and bass are just phenomenal they just the, just the sound of them on that on that song they're just so meaty and heavy but without being you know metal it's pretty cool and you know I just saw um just to bring this into the present I just saw Juliana Hatfield the other night and um was kind of taken aback about how heavy she was live live. Cause I'm used to hearing, you know, the records and you, you hear songs like spin the bottle on from the earlier records and stuff. They're not heavy songs, but she was playing last night and it was just, you know, she's playing like a little combo amp with a, she's playing a Les Paul jr or something. And she like, after the show, my wife turned to me and she was like that she was super heavy. Like there were songs that were like almost metal and um, I don't think that, you know, some of those bands that were in the Boston area or even just in general in the 90s, a lot of bands didn't really acknowledge their sort of like appreciation for the thicker like Black Sabbath-y tones because that wasn't in vogue then. Obviously, Black, I don't think Black Sabbath was, you know, on the tip of everybody's tongue as far as an influence for indie rock. But like there are times where you, it's like, that's really thick and, and um, I don't know if it's cause they're maybe using drop D and that's, what's causing that, um, that using that tuning is causing that like heaviness. But um, I was really caught it just because of hearing Juliana half of the other night and then listening to this record at the same time about how heavy some of the guitar stuff is. Uh, I don't know if you guys picked up on that at all or not of sort of ingrating some of the seventies heavier rock into the tones or not, but that was just something I, 
picked up on. No, it's, it's very, it's very rock. It's very rock. I mean, the, the book talks about that, how, you know, it's like she spent some time as, you know, solo singer songwriter and, you know, naturally then she gets put in the female singer songwriter camp and she did not want to be that at all. She's, she's very rock. And I, there's definitely drop D on this album. I think it's too bad. You're such a loser is the one that just screams it. Yeah. Well, let's go through, talk about, oh, wait a minute before we get to that. You mentioned that there were two other singles besides Better Than Nothing, and One Year Down was not. What were the other two singles that they chose? Happier was first, Happier was first, Better Than Nothing was second, and now I'm now I'm doubting myself. It was either gonna be it was either gonna be Everything is Different Now or One Year Down. They might have actually picked One Year Down uh, as the third one, but then like there was this part in the book where she's like, and then it she she says yeah, they picked it, and then it never got released to radio. Which I don't, I don't get why that's so hard to just send the damn thing to radio. But happier was the first single. Happier was the first single. Yeah, there's like f bombs in that song. Why would that's, you? I know, I know it, and it's not. It's a. I like it, but it's a terrible first single. No, it's got like a jittery kind of skittish drum part. I mean, I don't understand how that song would work as a single. And it's a total album track. I mean, it's a deep yeah. track for your fans. I mean, it's not, that's it's weird. so, it's, it's so aggressive. And I, I, that's one where like, I like the lyrics, but I can't quite understand like what the point is. Like, is there more than one character singing this? Cause she's at one point talking about like, uh, like at one point she sounds like Barbara Bush, you know, like the Superdome is great for these people. Cause this is better than what they had. And at other points, it sounds like she's empathetic. And then at another point, it sounds like she's threatened. And, like, I can't tell how many characters are, are in the song and, and what the point is. But uh, it's so it's it's a very confusing first single. Yeah. Especially when there's such obvious choices, like Better Than Nothing or When You're Down. Yeah. Even Snow. Snow would have been, I think, pretty, I don't know. Yeah. I, I don't get it. Uh, let's talk about our overall ratings for this record. Uh, where we we figure out whether this is a worthy album, a better EP, or a decent single. Scott, based on your comments throughout the show, I'm going to assume that you believe that this is a worthy album. Am I correct? Oh, yeah, I'm leaning that way. Yeah, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that, yeah, contrary to all the critical acclaim, I'm going to say, yeah, this is a worthy album. Well, it did get critical acclaim because it has oh, four and a half out of yeah. five stars on all music. Yeah, that was so, that was uh, a, that was a, I was trying to be funny and that wasn't. No, that's all right. <laughs> that's the only re- <laughs> review referenced on Wikipedia. Is the, is that? No, it was it was huge. The, crit- the critics loved it, and the critics loved your second album too, which I don't get. But whatever. Yeah, Jay, Tim, what do you think about this record overall? I have seven songs here that i that i like quite a bit so and i don't think there's any like real stinkers i think it like i mentioned at worst it just becomes a little bland so i'm at a worthy record um it's pretty concise too it's a 40 minute listen even at the with the kind of hidden track there at the end so it's you know it's a pretty pretty concise easy listen in terms of uh being able to you know kind of take it in in one sitting and absorb it so yeah, I'm I'm at a worthy record. I think there's some interesting. Uh, there's it's familiar, but still it has some aspects of it that are unique. You know, including the vocal, the guitar playing, some of the songwriting. Um, 
and there and there's enough variety to keep it interesting. I do want to clarify. I I believe that this was released in 1994 in its original Squint Records release, and then Warner Brothers re-released it in '95 because there's two different release years for the record. So I know that's very important for people who uh, track our uh, accuracy on whatever. And Squint Records had one release, and it was this. That was Jen Tran's. Like. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I mean, she 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 made this. I mean, I, I just, it blows me away. It just sounds so phenomenal and polished, and then she made it. And then you know, you can you can see why the bidding war was intense. Yeah. You know, I'm gonna agree with you, gentlemen. I think that this is a worthy record. Um, there's not a whole lot really to trim. So the only issue is that maybe there's one or two songs I just didn't care for. Overall, but I don't, I don't feel like there's any songs where she goes too long. Um, there's no songs where the production holds anything back. I think, you know, like a song like "Beg," which has been highlighted, is is cool because it has a different vibe or, or you know, dreamy kind of quality to it that separates it from the rest of the record. Um, maybe I, you know, would have liked a little bit in some of the other songs where they were a little harsher. Um, maybe incorporating that sort of production, but. Overall, I don't have any complaints about this record. And I do agree with you, Jay, that it ends kind of weird in the modern era because on Spotify it separates the last two tracks where it's really just one sort of singular track with a mm. you know, uh, a hidden track after it. So uh, it makes it it makes it different. It makes it a different lif- listening experience. So that's a we just conducted a psychological experiment essentially about this record. About about your feelings on this record, I get I, uh, to be first author. I'm first author. There you go. <laughs> Take call the New Jer- New England Journal of Medicine. We've conducted a psychological experiment <laughs> on uh, on listening uh, the effects of audio listening or uh, oral listening on uh, hidden tracks from 1990s albums. I'm pretty sure they'll call us. Uh, yeah, I'm waiting. Scott, thanks for picking this record. This is a good one. I'm glad we finally got around to it because it's been on my radar for a while so thank you and thanks for coming back on the show thanks for having me i have a great time every time i would be remiss if i didn't mention that the reason why we're doing this is because of patreon uh we give away things every once in a while and then people get things when we give them away we'll be doing a second quarter giveaway which will happen uh, let's see that would be may june so next month sometime in june we'll be giving something away i guess by the end of june we'll have something to give away probably am i still still eligible can i win that one too um you know we've never set up any uh rules of any sort so if people don't want to hear me again they should subscribe to patreon right yeah well and and the the spots are for our 250 level spots are uh you know disappearing let's put it that way there's only a couple left so and that's how you get your review after 12 months um, the layaway plan, as it has been referred to. <laughs> um, it is a little bit of a layaway plan, isn't it? It I didn't is. Think about it that way. Yeah. Maybe we should call it that. <laughs> yeah, because once names. once we fill all those in, there's going to be no more request to reviews, like instant request to reviews. We'll have to take that option down because then all all of our yep. recu- op- re- review options will be chewed up. So visit us at patreon.com forward slash dig me out bonus content you get to vote on albums in fact our next review is going to be a patreon vote 
which will be uh, revealed when we review it at that point. And much more. You guys, you got to subscribe to Patreon. Come on, everybody. There you go. Listen to the man. He's got uh, winnings that he can verify. I've been on since the first. You guys, come on, everybody. (laughs) I can't talk it up enough. Uh, iTunes is where you leave us positive feedback. And I think I've covered everything for our end of show uh, notes. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And we'll be back next week with another episode of Dig Me Out. Thanks for listening. To support the podcast, visit www.patreon.com forward slash dig me out and become a monthly subscriber or request a review at www.digmeoutpodcast.com where you can find links to our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram pages, as well as our merchandise store at zazzle.com.